Hey, it's really good to be here. Uh, the, I, this is the second time I'm teaching this class content today. First time we had about 120 in our class, and I have to teach it twice. So what is that telling you? That tells you that we're probably not doing very good in this area, are we? So that's the bad news. But the good news is, hey, you're, you're here, and, and we all want to do better in this area, including myself. And so that's very important. Hey, by the way, you know who famous went to this high school? Jack Nicholas went to this high school. How many of you don't know who Jack Nicholas is? Okay. Uh, I've seen him play many times. Yeah, the Golden Bear, and, and I'm still not positive if he got named after the high school or the high school nickname got named after him. I think he got named after the high school. Uh, but, you know, you never know in your church, like what Jack Nicholas did for golf, you never know who may walk in your church sometime that may be that much of an influence for the kingdom of God one day. And so this is important stuff that we are talking about today, and uh, I cannot emphasize that enough. So my first question to you that I want responses from is, uh, give me a quick synopsis. What do you want to get out of this class? What are some questions that you want answered? Uh, what are you thinking? How, you know, any questions that you have that hopefully we can answer sometime during the course of this class? Methodology of how to retain visitors. Methodology, how to retain visitors, Okay. That should be part of it. Anybody else? What's that? So, I'm sorry. Okay, we'll talk about some of those too. Yes. Anybody else? Okay, how to effectively plug new people into ministries. You guys have read my notes. We're talking about most of that stuff today. Okay, let's go ahead and get started. Uh, I want to make sure we do have some time for questions at the end. Now, this is a process where we're learning from each other today. I'm not the perfect person with this. None of us are, but we are beginning a journey. We're beginning a dialogue. My hope is after this class that maybe you're riding home with some people from your church and you're talking about this class and what can we do to do better in this area. And understand that all of our churches are different. So this is not a set, you know, you will not get out of this class today, well, one, two, three, four, five, that's what this guy says we got to do to make this work. That's not, that's not how this operates. You need to know your church, you need to know the culture of your church, because that's going to be very important. What works in one church is not going to work in another church. And don't be afraid to understand that this whole process is a fluid process. You may go home and in a week you say, man, we've got this. We're, we're operating on all eight cylinders. Two months from then, you may say, wow, we need, to, we need to do this. We need to tweak this a little bit. So don't worry about that. That's, that's how it works. That's part of the process there, and we need to be flexible with that. So my question to you now is, I want, to, I want you all to give me a list of why do you think, what are some of the different reasons that people come to your church? And speak, please speak loudly enough so everybody can hear. What are reasons that people walk in the door of your church? Looking for something fresh. Looking for something fresh. Okay. What's that? Okay, been invited. They attended an outreach. Location, yes. Yeah, I had a guy, I got to tell a story. I had a guy one time, I'm, I'm like, what, what, he plugged into our church, and sometime after he'd been there, I said, what is it, what made you come do our church for the very first time? He said, well, I was fishing on the Chagrin River, and I fished so long, I couldn't get back to my church, so I thought I'd stop at your church. Location, that's what it was all about there. So anybody else, what brings people? A crisis. It's a hurting bunch of people sometimes. Advertisement. Advertisement. Easter or Christmas. Easter or Christmas, yes. 
Good. And certainly all of those are valid reasons why we see people coming to our church. And if you've noticed, if you've been in ministry very long, you've noticed that they don't come in, usually they don't come in as tithers, playing an instrument, ready to sing on the worship team, and, and they're walking in holiness, and their life is absolutely perfect, and boom, you just plug them right in. Doesn't usually happen like that, does it? Most of the time, people are there because in some way, shape, or form, they're hurting. They're going through a crisis. Their life is messed up. You know, I can just speak from, from our personal experience at our church. You know, we've, we've got a guy who robbed a bank. We've got a guy who was a drug dealer as a policeman. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we dealt with uh, some young lady that got, got raped uh, from one of, her, one of her wife's boyfriends. And we've, deal, we've dealt with transgender issues and, and things like that. And it's not always an easy road. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we dealt with demon possession even. That's the first time I've seen that in, in a while uh, in regard to our church there. So people come in messed up. And our heart is we want to give them Jesus so that they can find the healing they need. And we always have to keep that in mind because if you don't, you'll get discouraged. You know, messed up people are messed up people. Sinners are sinners, and sinners do what sinners do best, and that's sin. And, and we've got to give them Jesus, and that's what's going to, uh, to change their lives. Uh, I want to let you know, first of all, let me get through a couple of these here. Why do people come to your church? Guests are a gift from God. Every guest that walks in the door of your church is a gift from God. And I really believe that there's a biblical principle going on here. God is looking for churches who are willing and capable of taking care of guests well. I believe if you get ready for guests, if you expect guests, you are going to receive guests. And I believe if you're faithful over those two that come in, God will give you more. Uh, I remember a time when we went to our church, uh, when we first went to our church, I noticed that in the sanctuary, the balcony was all boarded up. There was like a wall where the balcony would be, and that was a men's fellowship room up there. One of the first things I said is, guys, we got to take that balcony down. Well, why? We don't have enough people to fill that up. Well, there's a spiritual principle there. We never will have enough people to fill it up if we don't take a step of faith. That's like, that's like saying, wow, we really need to remodel the nursery, and you know, some bright person says... Why? We don't hardly have any kids in there. Well, you never will until you take a step of faith and get it up to where it needs to be. So our guests represent that step of faith. We need to do our very best to make sure we are ready to take care of our guests as they come in. Because truly, if we are faithful over little things, he will make us ruler over many. Uh, Nelson Searcy puts it like this. By sending a guest to you, God has given you the privilege of cooperating with him to move someone along in their journey towards Jesus. And isn't that what it is all about? Now, you know, in my day and age, when I first came to the Lord, the terminology we used back then was follow-up. Anybody remember those days? Now, it's assimilation. Assimilation is follow-up, but it's better. The process used to encourage your first-time guests to continue coming back until they see and understand God's power, accept Jesus as their Savior, and commit themselves to the local church through membership. We're trying, if you've ever seen that, uh, that graph of concentric circles that goes from the community to the congregation to the committed to the core, we're trying to move them deeper inside that circle. And uh, that's what we're talking about today. That's what it's all about. And so I believe God wants to know today, can he trust you? Can he trust you if he sends guests your way that you're going to be able to take care of them? Okay, and uh, now this definition... 
assumes that we have first-time guests. And maybe we need to start with that for a few minutes today. But let me give you something that I, I think is important for us to use as a barometer for us. Take a look at this. The ratio of first-time guests to regular attenders. As we go through this class, I want to really encourage you to evaluate your church along the line. See where you're strong, see where you're weak, and see where adjustments need to be made. And you may not know the answers to this, but on, a, on an average basis, how many first-time guests do you have on a Sunday morning? That goes for adults, that goes for children, it goes for all the way around. If you're a church running 100 and you have three guests per 100, then you are pretty much a church in a maintenance mode. Now, now why is that? Wouldn't you think this number here would be zero? No, because you need the three to make up for the attrition that you have for people moving out of town, for people who say, I can't stand how that pastor looks or whatever it is. You know, you're going to have some people leave, so we better have some people coming in. So three per hundred is a church in a maintenance mode. Five per hundred is a steadily growing church. And if you're up there seven to ten per hundred as guests on a Sunday morning, you would be a rapidly developing, a rapidly growing church. Where are you in that continuum? And I think that's a pretty good place for us to start today. The good news for for my church, for Emmanuel, is last week we baptized 15 people, many of them recently gloriously saved. Bad news is we took seven off the membership roll. You know, I talk about the 15 people a lot publicly. I didn't necessarily tell anybody we had to take seven off the membership rolls. But so, so you will have that attrition rate that you have to watch out for there. So we must create a funnel of guests. Now, let me ask you another question. What are some of the ways in your church that you found successful in getting guests to plug into your church? Now, let me ask you to answer that question in one sentence or less, because some people would love to give us paragraphs on that. One sentence or less. What have you done that has been effective getting people, uh, getting people into your church for the first time? I'm not talking about keeping them now. I'm talking about just getting in the doors of your church. Yes. And if I can say this, boy, that, that's a mouthful you said right there, because if we can get our people to regularly look for friends and relatives and co-workers to invite, that is half the battle of what we're talking about. If they can come into the church with a relationship already there, that will really help them to be able to then assimilate and to plug in. So that's how, that's how people come through the door the first time. Somebody else, how, you, how are you getting people through the door the first time? What's that? I'm sorry. Sending out postcards, okay. Kind of a kind of a mass marketing, mass mailing, okay. Somebody else. And that can be very effective for some churches. Uh, you, there are ways to get the uh, list of newcomers to the area and to and to actually write them and uh, invite them to church. Somebody else through the door the first time. Large events, okay. Okay, and certainly, and, and that goes along with holidays, Christmas and Easter and things like that. Somebody else? Okay, we want to get them in the door for the first time. That's going to be very important. And I want to challenge you to do that in a way that doesn't have to cost a lot. You may be thinking, well, we're kind of strapped financially and we don't have any big ways to do it. One of the most effective things that we do at, at times is we do a movie in the park. 
that may cost us a $50 gift card and a little prize package, and that's about it. You know, we take a, we take a projector with a huge inflatable screen that we have to the park, set it up uh, with the city's permission and blessing, and they already ask us this year, are you going to do a movie in the park this year? And, uh, and we've gotten some people to begin attending our church who are still attending our church from something as simple as a movie in the park. And I challenge you to reevaluate everything you're doing as far as outreach. We have done some, uh, some amazingly big things throughout the year that this year we're not doing any of those big things. We're doing some smaller things. Let me give you, let me give you an example here of what I'm talking about. We, we have done this event, I don't know, for the past nine years called uh, Easter Drive-Thru. We have uh, nine scenes from the life of Christ through the driveway, through the parking lot, all over the place. And they stop for every place at three minutes, full actors, full costumes, full lighting at night. It is phenomenal. The last scene, we make Jesus rise up and disappear. It's, it's just absolutely incredible. But we don't get to relate to those people very much. The only time we relate to them is when, when my wife and I, when Pam and I, uh, talk to them before they start going through the line because they're in their car the whole time. On the other hand, we do this thing called Upward Soccer Camp where we have these people, maybe three to 400 people on our campus that usually aren't there every week, actually twice a week for two months, and you're spending that time developing the relationships, and I think that's important. So you have to really evaluate what you're doing outreach-wise to make sure you're not only getting the most bang for your buck, but what is, what is actually most effective. I want to challenge you to create an atmosphere where you're talking about and where you're expecting guests to come. And I want to challenge you, whatever we do in this area, it's so important that we do it well to the glory of God. I have this word that I use, and if you're of German descent, I hope this doesn't mean anything bad because it's got to be a German word. It's called schlock. Schlock to me is like, eh, you, you ever hear, in the old days, you know, if you're young, forgive me for this, but in the old days, remember when Sister Susie stood up and said, bless God, I'm going to sing me a special tonight, and I haven't had a chance to practice this, so y'all pray for me. And you can tell she didn't have a chance to practice it. And as she practices, she probably couldn't have done any better. We give schlock to God sometimes. You know, in, in Malachi, God says, why are you giving me sick cows? Let's not give God sick cows. Let's give God the best that we have. And so I'm tired of the world doing their best and the church doing second or third best. Let's do what we're doing in a way that's going to be honoring to God. Now, Maybe this question, I don't know, I hate to be gender specific here, but maybe this question a little bit more for the ladies. I could tell in my first session they were much more passionate about this question than the guys. If you knew you had guests coming to your house, what are some of the things you would do? Clean. 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 What's that? The bathroom. Make sure that toilet's clean. What else? Cook. Yeah. We may have to go buy groceries, do some cooking. What? Make sure there's clean sheets on the bed. Make sure the house smells good. I mean, you would go through it, and you would make sure for that guest your house was in tip-top shape. Why can't we do that for the guests at our church? Why can't we do that for the guests of our church? And I I think many times we miss the boat with that, okay? Uh, I'm not keeping up with my PowerPoint here. I want you to suppose something with me here. Suppose that there was a family that went to your church. A mother and two kids went to your church from this family. And every Sunday, mom would get up, get the kids up, get them ready for church. Dad would never come to church. Dad would never come to church. But on this Sunday, the wife is almost surprised to see her husband is out of bed. What are you doing out of bed? Are you feeling okay? Yeah, I decided I'm going to go to church with you today. But I want to tell you, I'm only going one time. This is it. I'm only going to go to church one time. Now, as pastor, we may not be aware of that decision that man has made. But if we were, can you imagine 
We would want our greeters doing their absolute best. No bad breath. We'd be passing out mints to them. We would want wonderful kids' ministry where kids are coming out with, their, with a good report and none of them are bleeding, and we think that's success if none of them are bleeding. We would want incredible worship. Make sure the computer guy actually gets the words to the right chorus on the screen at the right time. We want the message to be right on the mark, and we would want those people to, to actually feel welcome when they come in. See, I believe that every week we ought to be approaching this like we only have one shot. Hopefully we got more than one. But what if we only have one shot at that person? We want them to come back. So somebody asked a question, what do we need to avoid? Let me give you a few things we need to avoid. We need to avoid abbreviations. And by that I mean, if you're putting your text for your message in your bulletin and it says PS period, they have no... They think you're adding something to the bottom of the letter or something. They have no idea that that means psalms. Matter of fact, most of the time when I'm introducing, when I'm, when I'm getting ready to read Scripture on Sunday morning, I will say, this is in the book of James. It's probably towards the back of your Bible. It's in the New Testament. Do most of our people know that? Yeah, but if one or two don't know that, that, that helps them to feel a little less stupid there, okay? So avoid uh, abbreviations. We don't allow books of the Bible especially to be abbreviated. We, we make sure that we spell all those out there. Make sure you don't have insider language. See how many of you can relate to this. Sister Sue got slain in the spirit. She is now saved and sanctified. An old slewfoot was after her, but the hound of heaven just kept knocking at her door. <laughs> we used to talk like that. Can you imagine what a, Christian, what a non-Christian would think in your church for the first time if, if, if they heard something like this? Wow. Uh, avoid a lot of announcements. <laughs> and sometimes, my, Pam is sitting, my wife is sitting over there saying, you're saying that because sometimes I do too many. But uh, there, have been, there have been tests done, and 90% of the people who have just been giving a verbal announcement doesn't remember what it was after the next song is sung. After the next song. You expect them to remember it like on Thursday. They can't remember after the next song. I like the story I heard of a pastor who was making announcements every Sunday morning for a month. He's promoting, we got a big, important business meeting come up. you got to be there. If you're a member, you got to be there. Sure enough, the night of the business meeting, hardly anybody showed up. They barely had enough to squeak by with the quorum. So the pastor thought he'd get even. The next Sunday, he stood up and said, I'm so glad you all came to the business meeting and that we voted unanimously to tear down the education wing and put in a 50-meter swimming pool. So... <laughs> That left everybody like, what? What did I miss that business meeting? What was going on here? So uh, minimum or no announcements. And uh, no swarm prayers. You know what I mean by that? We have a tendency to put somebody in the middle and have 20 people gather around them. If they're a new visitor, they're going to get on their knees and crawl out of that swarm. Uh, When I have people pray with people at the altar, especially people who are new to church and and maybe they're getting saved for the first time. I, you know, it's, it's one person, maybe two people, but not, not a swarm of people, okay? Uh, very, very important there. Uh, and number five is especially on my heart. Uh, one of the mistakes we make is not manning up. Now, I want you to think about this now. Matter of fact, I'm going to ask you to respond. Think about your sanctuary right now. How many of your sanctuaries have flowers in them somewhere? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you're like, <laughs> but it's the flower lady that has control over them. We used to have literally a whole flower room at our church. 
We, we have no flowers in the sanctuary. Uh, I wish I could have given you a glimpse into our men's room. Our men's room has a cow skull on the, on the wall. It has a, it has a uh, crossbow. It has fishing gear. It has a, has a crosscut saw. And on the, on the inside of the stall door, we have a flat screen TV where you can shoot deer. No, we didn't do that part, but, but we do the other parts. So, so man up. Make men feel comfortable when they walk in the door of our church. If we could, I would love to have a climbing wall in our foyer or something like that. Make men feel comfortable at your church. So those are just some things, uh, some things to avoid. Remembering we may only have, only have one shot at them. We tend to think it's all about our programs and we want to wow them with, you have a choice of 23 small groups that you can attend here. But uh, let me give you quickly one list and then we'll get into the meat of what we're talking about. Three basic things that people are looking for. Uh, number one is an excellent children's program. Uh, we had, you know, in that baptism crowd that we had last Sunday, one of them was a newly saved couple, a lot of unchristian friends, and I, I did their wedding. I know a lot of ungodly friends in their sphere of influence. And uh, when they said they had just become members and gotten baptized, all over their Facebook is like, well, tell me about what they do for kids at your church. So, so it was a wonderful way uh, uh, to communicate with those, with those unsaved people there. And so, uh, and so it's important that we have... Uh, that we have an excellent children's program. Good worship, they're just, they don't even know what that is yet, but they just want it to be good. Property that's not being neglected, that's pretty simple. But it's not so much programs that people are looking for. And if you only remember one word from this class, remember that word. Connections. That's what people are looking for. We live in a day and age of social media. It's all around us. And, and uh, we pride ourselves. You know, how many, let me ask this question. How many of you have over 200 friends on Facebook? Okay, now, can I be honest with you? If you're, if you're out there saying, I have 257 friends on Facebook, can I tell you, no, you don't? You, you have 76 nosy people. You have 13 people who are spying on you, seeing you behaving like Jesus wants you to. 162 that just don't want to insult you by not friending you in the first place. And that leaves you with six real friends. That's all you have. Okay. Social media is not the answer. It leaves us starving for real relationships. There are three reasons why any family or person will stay at your church. And this is really where we are today. Dr. Wayne Lee of Church Life Resources puts it like this. Three assimilation relationships need to be in place for a person or family to be fully assimilated into the local church. Spiritual involvement, relational involvement, and ministry involvement. Now notice this next next sentence. We think we're doing good if we got one or two out of three. If all three are not in place, the person or family will eventually fall away from the church. All three. This is a really good time as we go through these to examine how are we doing as a church? Where are we good? Where are we not so good? And uh, what needs to be done? What doesn't need to be done? And uh, to work your way through your strengths and weaknesses. Now, many times those relationships, those connections of relational, spiritual, and ministry come at a prescribed time in the life of somebody. Sometimes, a rela- most of the time, relational is newcomer, new convert is spiritual, and new member is ministry. But that can come in any order along the way. Number one is they need to be relationally connected to the local church. 
relationally connected to the local church. Never underestimate the importance of those relationships. And like you said at the very beginning, it's so important that they are, they are a mile ahead if they have already been invited by someone who goes to your church, then they know that person when they walk in the door of your church. whole lot easier to do that than from a cold turkey outreach. We think we're doing great with all of our big outreaches, and believe me, I'm the king of big outreaches, but relationally is really where it is. Two questions make sure your greeters know and are aware of. Um, excuse me, personal invitation. Make sure your greeters... And you only have seven minutes to impress them, and that means before the first song ever starts. doesn't matter how great your worship team is if you can't get them through that first seven minutes. That means greeters, and, and what do the bathrooms look like, and those kind of things. Greeters, two questions. Hi, my name is, our, one of our greeters is Gustav. My name is Gustav. What's yours? How long have you been attending this church? Now, for smaller churches, that second question may be a little foolish because you ought to know if they've been attending this church. But for churches that are, that are any bigger, sometimes it's hard to keep track of who's new and who's not new. So those are two very important questions to make sure your ushers understand and utilize. And I'm going to throw a term at you that I don't know if I coined it or not, but I love it. It's called glue people. What are glue people? Glue people are those people who just have a natural affinity to make relationships with people. Well, we have two ladies in our church that I honestly wish I could clone for all of you who are just the epitome of glue people. Anytime on Sunday morning I look out, their row of chairs is full because either they've talked to people during the week or somebody new has walked in the door of the church that day and they say, hey, come and sit with us. And uh, when we have outreaches, we try to make sure that we are assigning some people no duties except to be glue people. When we go to movie in the park, we have registration people, we have technical people, but we want some glue people who are just going to go out there and sit with people, okay? Just get to know people and uh, to understand who they are a little bit. When we have our big, bigger outreaches, we want to have glue people as well. I think that's very important. I want, to, uh, I want to take a moment right now to just put everything on pause and say, I know I've been spewing it out. There's a lot to share with you, but I want to, I want to hear your questions about anything that we may have talked about up until this point. Any, any thoughts there? Uh, can you go back to that one? Uh, who was it? Wayne Lee? Please. Yeah, yeah. Wayne, yeah, Wayne Lee. Let me, I'll just back up to it. I'll leave it up there for a little bit for you. Okay. Anybody else? Any other questions? Have you actually um, either surveyed or talked to a lot of people who decided not to go to uh, either your church or another church to glean some information uh, no, I haven't done that personally. I know some, some authors who have done that. And by the way, I think that's important for me to say here. Uh, there are wonderful resources out there. And I would encourage all of you to read something like Fusion by Nelson Searcy. Or, uh, uh, you know, I was talking about Manning Up. There's a wonderful book. If you were at Men's Convention a year or two ago, the, speak, the, the speaker at Men's Convention was the author of the book entitled Why Men Hate Going to Church. We need to get. We need to know that book. Uh, Sticky Church. Matter of fact, where is the clipboard? Okay. Would you count and give me number twelve on the on the list there, if you would? Okay. Who's number twelve on that list? Looks like Jeff Smith. Who's Jeff Smith? Jeff, you just won Sticky Church. Okay. 
That's another excellent resource book on assimilation. And no, so the answer to your question is I, I certainly haven't done that, but I'm reading what other people have done along those lines. Uh, you know, and, and this is very important here. It's all about culture. What works in your church may not work in my church. We had a, a gentleman in the first session who had the question about when, when we're out visiting and knocking on doors, what's some of the things we should say to them? And my, my first response was, as long as you are in a culture where that's appropriate, that's okay. If we did that, right next, to, right next to our church, we have a kingdom hall and half a mile down the road, we got a Muslim mosque. And so anybody knocking on doors around our place is going to think, whoa, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hide. They're not even going to think about opening up the doors. So whatever you do, it has to be culturally relevant to, to your church, to your area, to your people. And I don't know that there's a book that can answer that, that properly about what in general turns people off. I was, telling, I was telling a relative of mine who doesn't know the Lord that I was going to be teaching this class. In just a minute, I'm going to be talking about connection cards. Well, the way that we get people to fill out connection cards on Sunday morning, I say, if you're new to Emmanuel or, or recently come back to Emmanuel, would you raise your hand? And we want to put a connection card in your hand. And then I, we have this wonderful, glorious picture of our, it looks like angelic, of our, of our coffee mug that we give away, you know. And uh, my, sis- my, my sister was actually was saying, I would never raise my hand in a church. I'd be so intimidated to do that. And I realize in some cultures that wouldn't work, but in our culture it does work. And so that's what it's, it's all about. Honey? One of the things I was just in the web page class, and how Right. Or if they drive by the front of the church and they think it's not well kept, or if there's weeds in the thing, they think, well, they don't care about their church, why would they care about me? And so sometimes they don't even get inside our church and they make a decision. Right, right. I want to mention, I want to talk for a few minutes now about connection cards. I, I really do believe that this is universal, that we all need some kind of connection cards. We must, we must get the information from the people who do come to our church. And I'll be right, I'll be up front and say we are not above at all bribing people to get their information, okay? Uh, every event we do, whether it's Sunday morning, these are, I, I would have passed out empty con- connection cards to you, except I had to pass them out all in the first one. Yes? Oh, you- Oh, you didn't sign this? Sorry. Go right ahead. These are our connection cards from our Sunday morning service. These are some, and by the way, I got two tubs of these out in my car. I don't want to carry them in. These are from our, our uh, Gospel According to Scrooge. Uh, these are some more from service. This is from one of our movie in the park outreaches. This is from our Easter drive through And this is from our Wild Wild West outreach. So we get their information and everything. And I would say this, that on a Sunday morning, I'm thinking we get somewhere around 80% of our guests to fill these out and to turn them in because they get their coffee mug 
and I tell them you can go to work tomorrow and say you got mugged at church because they got their coffee mug. But when we do an event, if we do movie in the park, we may give away a $50 gift card or we may give away a movie package or something. We give something away. Uh, you know, when we do Gospel According to Scrooge, we'll, uh, at the end of that, after three nights, the next morning, we'll pull out a name and we'll give them a $100 gift card. And they're like, oh, I never want a thing in my life. And, uh, but, but we do whatever we can to get their information. And once we have their information, and uh, believe me, this is where we fall short sometimes because we've got a tub of stuff that we still haven't inputted into our, into our software yet. But you've got to get that inputted. And then I, I, somebody was asking me the first time, I really use those sparingly. I do not bombard people with emails. I don't ask their permission either, but I, I'm very sparingly in how I use them. I will use them when we have a holiday coming up, something special going on there. I will use them for a sermon series I'm about to start. And by the way, let me give you a tip that I, I think is personally uh, valuable, that when you have an outreach, if at that outreach you can somehow advertise that the next Sunday begins a sermon series, I think that's usually a good thing. Why? Because there are many times that people who don't go to church, they don't want to come to church because they think you're going to pick on them from the pulpit. They don't know what's going to be said up there. But if they know ahead of time what's going to be said, and that's a topic that is relevant to them, they are far more likely to come than if they don't know what's being said. So I just really want to encourage you, do what you can to get a good connection card, to make sure you do the follow-ups that are, that are mentioned on it, uh, to make sure you plug it into software and you at least use it periodically because that's a way to stay in continual contact with, with somebody. Any, any questions there? Yeah, yeah. See, that's a tough, that's almost like a conundrum, uh, catch-22. You have to be somewhat visibly healthy for people to want to attach to it. You know, but, but then, you know, there are all kinds of people. There are people who will come to your church. We didn't mention this. But people will come to your church if you are an outreach-oriented church and you love your community and you're doing things. They want to attach to that. There are other people. There are some people who, if there's a, a church that they really feel needs them, you know, and, and maybe I'm talking a little bit more now about, you know, Christians who are dissatisfied or floating around out there. But, but there are some people who are looking to plug into a church where they are actually needed. I, uh, you know, I, I've interviewed staff people before who have interviewed at another church. And, uh, and uh, you know, they, they may choose us because we look needier than that church did. Oh, I can really be used over here. So I think maybe that's a little bit of a key there. Uh, you, you, you know, you got, you, there has to be an attractiveness to get, to get unsaved people there. And maybe that's a specific ministry you're doing. Uh, something that the Lord is leading you into, that that in itself becomes attractive to the community. In my last session, I was in that that prescription thing, and it's like, wow, what the guy who taught that is from Missouri, and what that is doing to their church is absolutely amazing. Uh, last year, they gave away $2 million worth of pharmaceuticals free. It didn't cost them a penny. And so there are people coming to their church because of that. So I think you have to find your niche maybe a little bit more. You have to look for that specific thing that would be attractive to a certain segment of the population. Probably not an across-the-board attraction, but uh, something that's attractive to a certain portion. Even something like Movie in the Park, uh, man, you're you're after young people, young families. That's who comes to an event like Movie in the Park. We live in a college town, Ah. yet we have no college students coming to our church. The percentage of numbers are probably 5%, maybe 10% that actually live in the city. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I think that will come. Let me say this. Our church is in a community. Middleburg Heights is probably, last time I checked the demographics, 97% Caucasian. Our church population is probably 50% Caucasian. So, I mean, that, is that good? Yeah, that's good. But it's like, we're not ministering to the people in our neighborhood very well. But we're doing the work with the people God did give us. So for right now, you're doing the work with the people God gave you. But then there's plans for how can I reach into that community. Our church is in Athens, Ohio, and that's where Ohio University is. Yes, Bobcat. Right Yeah. Sure. Yeah, and, uh, and believe me, very honestly, I, I haven't done that as well as I need to. But one of the things we're going to do coming up, uh, we're going to have a set of small group, uh, a, a small group class that on a quarterly basis, we're going to be explaining things like, uh, you know, how to read the Bible, how to pray with people around the altar. And that's going to be one of them, how to be a glue person. And, and my wife has some deep insight into this right here. Let me just, uh, we, I have about seven minutes to finish up here, and i got a lot that I think is important for you to hear. Uh, make sure you are connecting people personally, and I think this kind of goes along with that. If, if the pastor and his family models that, I think that's very helpful. For example, uh, and, and by the way, let me say, what do you do with them after they, after they were here one time? Let me get that first. What, I'm going to tell you what we do, and once again, it's cultural. It's whatever works for you. We send them a letter that next week that's from me personally. I call them that week, and then uh, once a month, we do a, we do a guest reception for them in our cafe where we invite people back who were here maybe a one week ago, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, because we only do it once a month. We have somebody else in church that calls them and invites them. We have a couple of ladies that make some desserts, and we'll spend 10 to 15 minutes with them personally. So they get three touches. They get the letter, they get the call from me, and they get the guest reception. Now, uh, you know, some pastors do that every week they have a guest reception. I mean, it's just what works for you culturally that I, that I think is very important. Uh, probably, and we were talking in the first session about if you are suburban to rural, maybe visitation is a good thing. But I know from us, urban to suburban, that's, that's not, that's not going to happen in our neighborhoods, okay? 
people are afraid to go in some of those neighborhoods, as a matter of fact. So it's important to connect them. What are you, what are you giving them? Maybe, I don't know. Maybe you give them a hot chocolate in your envelope as well or, or something like that. But then you connect them. Maybe, you know, they're there the first time. Maybe they come back the second time. And the conversation in our cafe will go something like this. I remember a conversation with a lady who, I mean, I'm just talking to her for the first time. She's talking about how one of her children died. And, and I just kind of reach for one of my board members and say, go get Mary. Because Mary has had a son die. And I wanted to connect Mary with this lady. You know, or maybe it's, oh, you live in Brook Park. That's what you're asking. You're just asking them about themselves. You live in Brook Park. Hey, George here, he lives in Brook Park too. Or you work at, uh, you work at Metro Hospital. Laura works in, at Metro. Laura, come over here. And you just begin to make those connections with people that I think are healthy. So they feel like they know at least somebody else that, that is a part of your church there, okay? And this is where small groups come in, whether it's discipleship or an affinity group. I mean, we've done small groups on fishing or, uh, or uh, exercise or something like that. And let me say this. I believe this with all my heart. Relationships that last must go beyond a Sunday morning experience. I don't care if you shake hands and hug for 15 minutes. That's not going to cut it. We've got to get them in some type of other relationship in the church if we expect them to stay. Number two, we've got to get them spiritually connected to God and to leadership. That's why your church service is so very important. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'll get there. Okay, they've got to be spiritually connected to God and leadership. So important that we have a wonderful church service where they can walk out of there. Maybe they're new. They haven't been in church since they were a teenager. And they walk out saying, wow, I, I, they don't even know how to put it. I felt God. I felt something, something in that service today that I haven't felt for a long time. We need that presence of God and that anointing. And we can do all the systems perfectly, but if we don't have that, we've got nothing. And, and, you know, the old saying, people are attracted to a fire. If there's a fire, people want to go to it. They want to, they want to see something burn. That's true of the church, too. If we have the fire of God, we won't need to do a whole lot of advertising or things like that. And whether you are a fan of the Brownsville Revival or not, let me say this. When the Brownsville Revival was going on for, I don't know what, three or four years, every night there were like 2,000 people at that revival. They didn't do one ounce of advertising. How did those people even know? I mean, there are people from all over the world who came to the Brownsville Revival. How did they know? Because there was news of a fire that spread. And if we can have that fire in our church, that's, that's really, really what it's all about. But we also have to connect them to the leadership of the local church. Uh, you know, one statistic that all pastors should love that, that I heard uh, about four years ago is uh, 80% of the people that eat with a pastor will stay in your church. Wow! I like that. Some of you better write that one down. So there are times where someone is coming to our church. We don't do it on the first week, probably not the second week, but third or fourth week, there are times where Pam and I make an appointment and say, hey, next Sunday after church, can we take you out to lunch? Not with everybody, but we just have a feeling for who we need to do that for. And so there are times that Pam and I do that. We already talked about the guest reception. Yeah, that's, that's true. No fasting time there. Uh, let me also say that Life of the party. Uh, let me also say that, that Pam and I have debated about where are we most needed after the service. Are we needed up front at the altar or are we needed at the door? And my conclusion was I think we are best suited to be at the door greeting people. 
we have, I mean, we have an altar time we're praying, but at the end of the services, there's people who need more prayer. We've got a lot of people who know how to pray, but you only have one pastor who can be at the door or, or a pastoral staff who can be at the door. And I just feel it's important for us to lead the way in that, in that hospitality kind of thing. And so we are, we are generally at the door there, uh, needed to be lead greeters. We need to create an environment where everybody feels welcome. Number three, then, we need to make sure that we are connecting people to a ministry partnership in the local church, okay? See these three connections, relational, spiritual, and ministry. That means we must help them find meaningful involvement. Remember, that's why some of the people came to your church in the first place, because they want to get plugged in. They want to be a part of something that's bigger than they are. And so how do we do that? We've got to get to know them. We got to get to know their strengths, their weaknesses. You ask them about their past. Where did you go to church? What did you do there? You're asking them all those questions. And later on, perhaps in a membership class setting, I think you need, I think we all need to have membership classes, not just a membership event, but classes leading up to that. And uh, during that time, whether it's a gift assessment or just getting to know them better, but we've got to come to understand who they are, and we've got to help them find their passion. We've got to help them find their sweet spot. If you ever played baseball, you know every baseball bat has a sweet spot on it. You can get a hit, a blooper, a bunt on any part of the baseball bat. I've seen guys get a hit on the, on the nub of the baseball, of the bat. But if you're going to hit a home run, you've got to hit it on the sweet spot. So many of our people are floundering, not knowing. It's like, what am I supposed to be doing with the Lord and in church and ministry? And they're, and they're missing their sweet spot. That's why we need to be there to help, help call that out of them, help them to see what that may be in their lives there. Uh, that's important. And if, it, if an attender does not find meaningful involvement, their chances of dropping out increase dramatically. And six months uh, is too long before we get them involved in church. We had a guy named George come into our church for probably nine months before he gave his heart to the Lord. George would help us set up for events. He wouldn't teach a class. We, we would not even think of allowing him to do that. But he was there more faithful than some of our members were. And uh, after those months, he came into my office one day and, and said, Pastor, today's the day. Today's, um, today's the day I'm giving my heart to the Lord. He was one of them we baptized uh, this past Sunday. And so, and so you need to get people involved some way, not necessarily in a leadership position, a ministry position, especially if they're not saved. And then uh, somehow, I'm going to wrap up, so hopefully we got at least, uh, I'm supposed to be done now, uh, give them a clear on-ramp to ministry. What does it look like for them to move from where they are now? into ministry, and, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of resources available for that, but it's from observation to participation to co-leading to leading with observation and then to leading on their own, just a process where you're resourcing them all along the way. You give them opportunities to try a ministry out, and they go to kids' church for the first week, and they walk out and say, well, that's not for me, but at least they can check that off of their list knowing that that's that's really not where they're supposed to be. This school is like haunted or something. And let me close with this thought. Everything we're talking about today are kind of systems, okay? What, what letters are we going to send them? What's our connection card looks like? But everything we do must at some point move from systems to culture, okay? Very, and, and what do I mean by that? I mean when we go home, we're going to put some things in place that we think we need to do. But if that doesn't eventually become second nature and we're doing it without even being told to, your people understand how it operates now, uh, that's really the key to get that as a part of your culture or subculture in your church where, where it all happens rather naturally. Hey, any, any questions? Let's spend at least a couple minutes on questions if you have any. Yes? The length of the service, is 
can I, can I, and some of you are not going to like this, okay? <laughs> uh, we, in our area, in the greater Cleveland area, we had our leadership team do a survey across the country of some of the leading Pentecostal churches in the country, whether they were AG or not. And they found that the typical, tremendously growing, deeply spiritual church, this is not a fluff church, the average length of their service was one hour to one hour and 15 minutes. I found that very enlightening. Uh, we have a little shorter service now than we used to. You know, so, and I know that, you know, and obviously the Holy Spirit moves and you need to go longer, you do that. But, uh, good question. Any other questions? Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Okay. Thank you all. Appreciate you being here.